out of a myriad of situations given to us an opportunity to lift our hands and our voice to you and declare that you are faithful and you are good. Amen. We acknowledge your presence in the house of God here tonight. As we stand together, it's good to see everybody here on a Tuesday night. Thankful for God's blessing and his anointing. Amen. We have made a divine appointment tonight to be in the house of the Lord and to feel after him if happily he might be found, though he is not far from each and every one of us, for in him we live and move. Are you moving tonight? Praise God. And have being. So if you're here and you've got being, amen. The Lord is here to respond to us. Amen. He's faithful to us. He's good to us. Amen. So we're grateful and we're thankful. Why don't we, before we move any beyond this point, just thank the Lord for his blessing and goodness. Why don't you lift up your voice and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your anointing and your touch. We acknowledge your presence in the house of God tonight. Hallelujah. We thank you that you are here to strengthen us, edify us, encourage us, exhort us to move beyond and upward. Hallelujah. We thank you and we praise you and we give you glory in all of these things. Praise God. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord again. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter number 1. John chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Thank you for being patient with us. We were in Mexico this last week, moving the Bradfords to a more permanent residence, taking some of their furniture down there, was able to be in service with them. And so it was a good trip. It's good to be home. Next week, next week on Monday, I covet your prayers. I'll be leaving for Zambia. I will be there from a Monday to a Monday for a shepherd symposium. This is leadership stuff that happens in Lusaka, Zambia. There are a lot of uh, people, pastors, ministers coming into Lusaka from the continent of Africa. And that is under the direction of Brother Wade Bass with a group of other ministers. So I would covet your prayers for that. Amen. It's going to take me 27 hours to get there and about 27 hours to get home in a week's time. So when it's all said and done, I'll probably be completely wiped out and my time will be completely off because that's a full day ahead. And so there's a five-hour flight, something like a 15-hour flight, and then there's three, two, three flights to get there. But Lord being our help, helper, we're going to make it in Jesus' name. And great things are happening on the continent of Africa. I will tell you this. I've been to Africa multiple times, and what America needs is what's happening in Africa. There is great, great revival breaking out on the continent of Africa. And... Sometimes we think it's interesting because there was a day in which the mission of God went from the United States to other places and other countries, and that was a mission work, but it actually is the reverse. We need to receive the same power and anointing that's happening in Africa, in America. It's the reverse. It's going the reverse direction. There are great things happening. Entire organizations coming into an apostolic faith. I think in Zimbabwe, there was 30 or 40 ministers that were baptized, and organizations are connected to all the people that are gathering. So it's a big, big, big deal, and we're thankful and grateful that we can go be an ambassador in Greater Bakersfield's First Pentecostal Church to go all the way across to another continent. Amen. And spend a few times and a few days trying to do our best to uplift and uphold and minister and provide leadership training to people that are so hungry and waiting for us to get there. Amen. So would you help me pray? Amen. Help me pray that God's, God's hand is upon us during all the travel. But once we get there, that the Holy Ghost does great things in that conference and in the country of Zambia. Amen. Praise God. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. He, John, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, Jesus. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. I want to speak to you for a few moments tonight on plateau of latent potential. Plateau of latent potential. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you for your blessings in the house of God tonight. And we ask that you would direct our attention and our thoughts upon you and your word. We give to you praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You're probably wondering where this title comes from, Plateau of Latent Potential. In the book called Atomic Habits, Atomic Habits, is talking about habitual things and how to create habits that are that are going in a growth direction. And part of the discussion there is the idea of plateau of latent potential. That sometimes life, no matter what you're doing, whatever you're involved in, whatever objective you're trying to achieve, it is a lot of small things built up one upon another. And so they're like building blocks. They're atoms. Atoms collectively make a molecule. Molecules collectively make up things. So at the very atomic level, it's very small, and it appears to be insignificant. It doesn't appear. I mean, you, you, it, an atom is, is, is very small. And so atomic habits, the whole thrust and theme of the book is that you start with atomic things, small things. And you work at those things, and it's one step upon another step. We can even find examples of this in Scripture. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, God told them, I'm not driving everything out in front of you, lest the animals would populate and lest the crops and things would not be taken care of. And so you're going to move in it, he said, one step at a time. I've talked to people trying to make a walk with God, and they try to do too much, too fast, and then they don't measure up to their own standards, and they get disappointed, and then all of a sudden they are frustrated, and they're not achieving what they want to achieve. And I'm just here to remind you, if you're here in this place here tonight, it may be atomic, it may be small, but you just keep building on the small things because eventually it's going to pay off. Praise God. I'm in the house of God tonight. It may be a small thing, but really it's not a small thing because when it builds at some point, it's going to crest over a plateau of latent potential that all of a sudden becomes a threshold where you step into another dimension and the things that you've been practicing, the things that you've been developing, the things that you have disciplined in your life crest over the plateau and all of a sudden there is success. Amen. Praise God. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. This happens in, in every area of your life, and certainly it happens spiritually. When you're practicing it, something, there may be times when you feel like that I'm not accomplishing anything. This is frustrating. I don't completely comprehend. I don't know how these pieces fit together. I'm not sure how this functions, and it just appears to me like I'm, I'm just doing something where there is no return on the investment of my time. And people will tell you, whether it's a teacher, whether it is involved in occupation or a job, stay plugged into this because learn as much as you can. Build on these small things. They're small in nature. They're atomic in nature. But build upon that because at some point there is a threshold, and the threshold is called the plateau of latent potential where you crest over and like a light bulb, something goes off and you realize, aha, this is the aha moment. I understand what is going on, and I've been patient 
in trying to achieve that. And so all these things are building blocks upon each other. And now I realize all that stuff was worth every bit of effort, every bit of time, every bit of persistence, every bit of patience. It's all coming together and it's paying off because God is helping me cross over a plateau of latent potential. It's there. The ability is there. I've spent the time and the effort, and so it has been a reservoir that I've been putting in and I've been investing in. And it seems small, but it's building on great things, and eventually that reservoir and that body of work becomes something that is so great that you cross the threshold and God uses you powerfully. This is one of the reasons why we just don't put somebody up and elevate them into ministry because ministry is a reservoir of daily living for God, developing discipleship habits that sometimes nobody knows what you're doing and it feels like nobody sees what you're doing, but you just keep doing what you know is right and at some point God elevates you. Amen. So that's, that's the plateau of latent potential. It's there. It's a reservoir. That is there. And this can go either direction. <laughs> it can go positive or it can go negative. If you're building building blocks, atomic things that are small, that are moving in a kingdom direction, man, God can do great things in your life. But if you're building on carnal things that are small, that are building up and compounding, that's going to push you another direction. It's not going to push you in the direction of godly things and righteousness. It's going to push you in a direction of carnality and worldly things and fleshly things. I want to challenge somebody tonight. Build some building blocks of, of righteousness. Build some things about the kingdom of God. Don't get caught up in going the wrong direction. Even one degree can make a huge difference. In this discussion, a man, he, now I, don't, I don't know how he got these statistics, but it's what he gave. And so there may be, I'm sure there's something to it. It seems to make sense. But he said 1% of change in a year is going to be a 37 times difference in the way you think and feel. A 1% change in a year is going to be a 37 times difference in the way you think and feel at the end of the year. Well, stop and think about that. If that is true, if that is true, 1%, 1% difference to the positive is going to be a 37 times difference in the way that I think or feel at the end of a year versus a 1% difference going the opposite direction is going to be a 37 times difference in the way that I think or feel. It's a degree. It is a small degree, but I have a sneaky suspicion that it's actually pretty accurate because 1% moving toward the kingdom of God and doing things in my life that is creating spiritual formation and discipleship in my life is going to make an impacting difference at the end of a year. I'm going to be better off because I made a one degree change for the better versus going one degree to the negative and at the end of the year I find myself frustrated and depressed because I'm going in the wrong direction. Hey, it's time for us to go in the right direction to make a degree of change going to the kingdom of God. Working in the kingdom of God. This also plays out in a lot of areas, too. They say that if you gain a pound a year, uh, and that's typically about average. If you're, if you're maintaining and, you know, you're not falling off the wagon and eating a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and stuff like that all the time, that, it, that a year is about one pound. So over the course of five years, you're five pounds heavier. In the course of 10 years, you're 10 pounds. In the course of, we better stop. <laughs> and so the, the plateau of latent potential is, it's very small, but I, I'm convinced it is absolutely correct. You come to the house of God and you think about living for God, you're talking about a separation of degrees. And when you go for an entire year, 
if you have gone one degree, and it doesn't have to be a degree because there's some people that take off and it's not just one degree, it's five, ten degrees. And so if it's 37 times for one degree, you talk to a new convert where God's really working in their life, it's not just one degree, it's in their mind. Because God, God God has done such amazing things in my life. So if it's 37 times for one degree, what is five and ten degrees? This is what God does. He makes big, big changes in a person's life. And he creates this feeling of, I am 37 times, if not not more better off this year than I was last year. I've talked to those people. Last year I was drunk. Last year I couldn't remember half of what went on, but this year I'm in the house of God. I made a degree of separation and things are happening and revival is taking place and I'm much better for it. Hallelujah. We need to stand to our feet and thank God that there are testimonies in this house that's been a degree of separation where people are 30, 40 times better off than they were last year. Hallelujah. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's why it's fun to get around people where God is moving in their life. And sometimes if we're not careful, we get apathetic and settled and cold and indifferent and hard-hearted. And we can lose the degree of separation to the right direction and we fall off and we're going the wrong direction. Change your direction and make a degree of change so that there is a plateau of latent potential that is operating and building building up. Somebody says, well, I, I want to be uh, used of God. I feel a calling of God in my life. And they're expecting this great thing to happen at that moment in that time. And that's not the way it works because it's atomic. Okay, be faithful to the house of God. Pay your tithes. Be faithful. Be faithful and consistent in your attendance. Pay your tithes. Because God's only going to bless you with what you're willing to pay tithes on. Ooh, that's really good. If you can't pay tithes on the little things, God's not going to offer to you big things in your life because you haven't shown that you can do it on the little things. But <laughs> that's really good, whoever said that. But if, if you're building on the little things, it doesn't matter what it is, and you're showing your faithfulness in that, God says, okay, I know that you can handle this, 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 and this. And then pretty soon God is blessing you to the uttermost, which that's the way it's supposed to be. Stop, stop, stop living just in this realm where you think that that's all there is and that's all there's going to be. No, put what God has placed in your hand and say, God, I'm putting this down in faithfulness because I know when I do this, you're going to bless me. I'm not satisfied here. I'm paying what is your due and you're blessing me, but you got greater things for me. Stop thinking about, well, this is where I am and I'm satisfied. Start thinking, God, you've got greater things for me. You've got bigger things for me. Did you hear me? We get too satisfied with just the norm. Well, this is all it's going to be. That's average thinking. Start thinking bigger than that. You got a better job for me. There's a better paying job for me. I don't want $15 an hour. I want $30 an hour. And I'm showing you that I'm faithful to you. I don't understand where we, we, we got off on this notion or idea that we shouldn't be a blessed people. We should be a blessed people because we're developing some things, atomic, small behaviors that say, God, I'm putting you to the test because I believe in who you are. And so when you're going to get involved in ministry, it's a collection of a lot of things that build up a reservoir. And at some point, you cross over a plateau when people look up and say, my goodness, where in the world did that come from? That came from a lot of, that just doesn't happen immediately. Paul said if that happens immediately and someone is raised to the level of success too fast, Paul said that's what you call a novice because it goes to their head. They think it's all about me. I've got talents and abilities, and people are swayed by my abilities. And Paul said that's not where it is. Character is where it is. Not abilities, not natural abilities. It's proven character. How do you get proven character? It's one block upon another block upon another block block upon another block and then at some point there is a plateau that you cross over of latent potential this is the way it works this is the way it works (laughs) 
Praise God. So keep filling the reservoir with the things that you know you're supposed to be doing because at some point it's going to make sense. Algebra is a great example. A lot of students are doing algebra and they're like, what? I don't see how this connects to anything. This is just a waste of time. You got to learn that building block that goes on another building block that goes on another building block to the point where in practical application, it actually connects. You can't just start with the practical application without understanding the building blocks. And so the building blocks are important, and that's why it's kind of tedious learning all these rules, what we're supposed to do and not do, and it builds on itself, and it builds on itself to the point where there is a crossing over, and there's a light bulb that goes, ah, I see, you can move this stuff around any way that you want. You could sit there for hours on an algebra problem and never get an answer because you're moving stuff. What you, what you do on one side, you have to do on the other side. So there's principles, whether it's multiplication or division. If you, so if you divide both sides by both sides, you're going to end up with the same thing. And you keep doing that. You can move it all around and never come to a solution. And that's where the light bulb goes off because you recognize this thing called math operates on rules. <laughs> and the rules, if I know them, make sense with everything else. So it's these small building blocks, these small things. One degree, one degree change. And there is a plateau of latent potential. A church has to create a place for growth. That's what the church is all about. If we're not about growth, we're about, if you're not about growth, then what are you about? Dying. And so if you don't have a, a system in place where there is intention to create an atmosphere of growth, you die. And we're seeing churches die all over the place because there's not intentional uh, possibilities for movement and growth. And so in order to create an environment where there is potential, latent potential, that just happens. Uh, there's got to be a lot of building blocks that make that occur. It's, it's not a situation where you walk in, man, God, just powerful move of the Holy Ghost. And I understand there were powerful moves of the Holy Ghost Sunday here. I was able to just tap in in between carrying boxes and tripping over chairs and everything else and just see that there was a move of God in this place. That just doesn't happen. Do you realize this, this is really elementary, but sometimes we need to hear this. And then for people that are coming in, they need to understand this as well. It, a move of God just doesn't happen. It is something that is intentional that are building blocks that lead to a plateau of latent potential to where you become a church where there is a move of God all the time. That just doesn't happen. You can go to a lot of churches and that's not there. Why is it not there? Well, there haven't been the right, the, the stuff that you fill up the reservoir with to make latency happen to where it crosses over into a move of God. That takes intention and effort and it's some small things, but over time they add up and they become great things. And so a church has to have, it should create an environment for growth. And we've read in our opening text, John, that's actually going back and repeating Genesis chapter number one. That's why it's so amazing because John is making the claim and he's applying Jesus to what is read in Genesis one, which is connected to God. So John is not very subtly saying Jesus is God. The God that created everything is Jesus. That's just God in a spirit form. He is Yahweh. He could not be seen. But at some point in history and time, God became a human. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. That's a beginning. And so Jesus was not in that form until he was made. So the idea that there is a person called God and a person called Jesus and a person called the Holy Ghost is very, very confusing because in the beginning when God created everything, God was not a person, he was a spirit. And then when you get to the New Testament, John is saying that spirit that created everything becomes God manifested in the flesh at a particular time. That person you could call Jesus 
and the word was made flesh. So he's going back to the very beginning of the creation story and he's connecting some things there. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. What we see here in this passage of scripture is there is an importance of the spirit. So again, we're talking about small things that add up, that create a latent potential, and at some point it crosses over a threshold. So if you're thinking about the church and how this connects to the church, the spirit is going to be important in the life of the church. No matter how many things may appear to the natural eye, God sees potential for something that is greater. In this passage of scripture, he looks at a earth that is without form and without void, and he sees the potential of it becoming greater. When the spirit of God is operating, it always sees potential for something that is greater. You need to thank God for that because when you appeared before God, your potential was probably pretty low, but God, when he arrived, his spirit is that I can see greater potential with what I'm working with. So from the very beginning, and this goes all the way through scripture, through the Old Testament, in the New Testament, into this 21st century, God always, when the spirit of God is operating, it's always to see greater potential. So his spirit is important and his word is important. It was into the atmosphere of his spirit that God began to speak his word and bring into reality the world as we know it. Eight times in Genesis chapter 1, the phrase, and God said, is mentioned. Each time that God spoke his word into the atmosphere of his spirit, there was something brought into being that looked exactly like the spoken word of God. This is why, this is, now to a world, this is foolishness. What I'm doing is foolishness because the preaching of the cross is foolishness praise God but to them that believe it is life and everything because we recognize that through the word and the spirit of God that is connected whatever God says is something that is going to happen it's going to be created it's going to come to fruition praise God we're not talking about an enemy that's trying to kill you we're talking about a God that sees potential not only in you, but in everybody that you are connected to. Not only in this building, but in this community, God sees potential. And so if his spirit is operating, then there is a move and a drawing, and God can do things. This is why the church must have the word, and the church must have the spirit, because if God's going to do big things and see potential, those two things have to be at play. They have to be operating have to be working through preaching people are brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light there is a separation process that takes place righteousness and unrighteousness good and bad godliness and ungodliness are all separated which brings order to a confused life so the, the creation account of God's spirit and his word separating and creating things is the same example or illustration of a spiritual life. When we come to God, our life is what? Without form and chaos and God's spirit moves. It moves upon the waters of the deep and there is separation and there is creation. This is exactly what is happening when there is a move of God in a church service through preaching, through worship, whatever it is. God is brooding among the chaos and people that come are in chaotic positions in their life and the word and the spirit of God sees potential in that and starts speaking things into their life and there is transformation that takes place. I want to be with whatever God is doing in that endeavor. I want to add to and help create that atmosphere and that movement and that power so that someone can receive the Holy Ghost. So that someone can repent of their sins. So that someone can be baptized in his great name. Hallelujah. So the word is important and the spirit is important. And, and so that, when God is looking at that, his spirit and his word is creating the right environment. 
I'm talking about, I'm talking, I'm talking about latent potential, growth in a church. I'm talking about all of us and everything that we do and all the systems that are in place. Matter of fact, in Atomic Habits, one of the things that is stated there is you don't need to look at goals, you need to look at systems. Because you can get to a goal, but then a goal is short term because once you reach the goal, then you're going you're gonna to say, I accomplished that. And many times you fall right back into the same position you were, you were before you started trying to achieve a goal. So a system is what is more important than a goal because a system is going to effectively keep things moving and it's going to be more effective and successful. So you're not operating, well, I just, I reached that goal. No, I'm in a system that is continuing to move me forward. So if you say, well, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, great. So you lose 10 pounds. You've reached the goal, but you haven't changed the system. And so after re reaching your 10-pound goal, you go right back into the same eating habits. You haven't changed the system of how your diet is, is operating in your life. And so you're, just, you're, just, you're reaching a goal and falling right back into the same thing. There's got to be a system that is in place so that the goal is not the primary thing. It's I'm in a system, and the system is driving driving me way beyond any of these goals that are along the way. Praise God. Well, how does that work out in a church? You've got to have systems in place so that there can be growth. We're not here just saying, we reached the goal, woohoo, and that's it, and then it's over and done. We want a system that is in place so that it continues beyond different goals, and there's operation, and there's movement, and there's revival, and there's growth because there's a system in place. Everything that we do here at GBFPC is a system from Sunday school ministry to youth ministry to the harvest. It's a system to our services, to a move of God, to Spanish ministry, to every ministry in the church. It is a system where it is a kingdom system. We're not necessarily interested in goal. Well, how many people receive the Holy Ghost? We're trying to reach a goal. That's great and that's dandy. But if a system is in place... A system's going to go right beyond the goal and keep going. That makes sense? That's why it's very, very important that you, you examine and you look at and you talk about and you collaborate and you think about the various systems that are in the church which are built upon the spirit and the word of God because that creates the right environment. And when you've got the right environment, what's going to happen? Growth, plateau, latent potential is going to take place. Now, if nobody's praying, you're not going to have revival. If there's no prayer, don't expect revival. The, the latent potential that is in the body is like a mother that nurtures a baby that gives birth to the baby, the reason that the baby can be birthed with health is because the mother has the latent potential to give birth. If a church doesn't have the latent potential, don't expect there to be a move of God and don't expect any babies to be born into the church because the potential is not there. This is why prayer is so very, very important. It's the small things that you keep adding into the reservoir so that at some point there is a boom, a move of God. And people look around and say, what in the world just happened? But for us, we don't say that because we recognize that was built upon prayer. That was built upon prayer. That reservoir kept getting larger. Revival broke out because there was latent potential. I said, man, I didn't realize my prayer had that big of an impact. <laughs> it has a huge impact. The right environment has to be in place where two or three are in agreement touching anything on earth. Great things start to happen. Now, there are seven altars in scripture that are fascinating where the fire of God falls. And what we want in this place is the fire of God to fall. We want the Holy Ghost to break out in this place. In here, over there. Spanish ministry Sunday, they had 45 people in service in four weeks. <laughs> my goodness, how does that happen? How does it happen? 
it's a plateau of latent potential. It's a lot of small things that have been built up, built up, built up, then all of a sudden this is happening, and how's that happening like that? It's because there's latent potential there. In the last, from, from the summer to this point right now, God has been doing big things in our midst. People have been receiving the Holy Ghost. A lot of people, a lot of people baptized, our children baptized in Jesus. There are big things that are happening because God sees potential. And when his word and when his spirit are operating, great things can happen. But there has to be the right environment. You can't, you can't see things happen if there's not the right environment. So the fire of God falling is, should, should be important to us. I said the fire of God falling, that's a, that's a representation. All through the scripture, the fi Elijah, the fire falls. And that sacrifice is consumed, and it consumes the water, the, the, the bullocks, and everything. And the fire falls. And then there's fire, Elijah goes up in a chariot of fire. And so fire is important. And then you get in the New Testament, there are tongues like as a fire that sets upon each of them. So fire, God is a consuming fire. So fire is important. We want the fire to fall. And what we want is a, we want an anointing and a power that comes from heaven to touch us in this place. So there are altars where fire falls, and the reason is because each of the men who built the altar <clears throat> created the right environment in that visitation. Let's look at some of them just briefly. We'll, I, I won't spend a lot of time, but enough time to where we get the gist. Abel's altar, in the beginning, Abel's altar was an altar of spiritual desire. And so he brought the firstlings of his flock. Not second best, not third best, not the runny flock, but he brought the first, the best of his flock, and he gave that to God. And so his altar was an altar of spiritual desire, right environment. Abraham's altar was an altar of commitment. Abraham builds an altar before God. This is an amazing story. It's a great message. You can preach it in a lot of different ways, but it really has to do around commitment. He builds this altar. He's committing some things to God, and the fowls come around, start buzzards, start circling around, and the Bible says that Abraham, with uh, great fervor and intensity, he chased the fowl off of his altar of commitment. That's powerful right environment. There's a commitment I want to give and there's some things that try to erode the commitment and he has to fight those things off. Same, same thing for us. There's some things we've got to fight off but the environment was right. Moses' altar was an altar of obedience. God told him to build the tabernacle according to a pattern and so Moses built an altar and it was an altar that I am going to do what you have told me to do. It's going to be an altar of obedience, the right environment was taking place. David's altar was an altar of repentance. David numbered the people. He wanted to know the amount of people in his kingdom, and God told him not to. And, and why was that such a big deal? And there were like 32,000 people that died because of David's decision to do what he did. What was the big deal? The big deal was it was ego. God told him it's not important it's, it's, never, it's never been important how many numbers you have in God's mind. Because God always does great things with the minority, not the majority. So David said, well, I'm going to find out how many people, and I'm going to number the people. And God said, don't do that. Because he recognized the inward motivation for David doing what he was doing was built out of pride and arrogance and ego. And people lost their lives because of it. So David built an altar, and he built an altar out of repentance because he recognized. Create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit. Blot out my transgressions. And Psalm 51, 50, 51 gives to us a, a psalm of repentance before God. It was an altar of repentance. Solomon's altar was an altar of dedication. He built the temple. David built up all the materials, and Solomon built the temple, and when the temple was built, there was an altar that was built, and it became an altar of dedication. 
Elijah built an altar, and it was an altar of faithfulness. The reason why Elijah built an altar and there was this conflict between Baal is because he said it. How long will you halt between two opinions? And so the altar that he built was an altar of dedication. We need to dedicate our lives to God and not halt between two opinions. Elijah's altar, uh, faithfulness, and then lastly, the church's altar. The church's altar is an altar of unity. This is reflected in all of the epistles and Jesus' teaching that if the church is going to grow, there has to be unity in the church. Schisms and disunity will not create forward movement and growth, quite the opposite. So every single one of these altars, there was an environment created in which God was compelled to visit. When the environment is right, God is compelled to come down and there is an importance placed in that, just like in Genesis chapter number one, where the environment is right for things to happen. That you can't survive, you will not survive, if it's not the right environment. You have to have seas for the fish. You have to have air for the fowls. You have to have dry land for the plants, trees, and the locusts of the field. And so the environment has to be right for anything to be added and placed into the Do you understand what I'm saying here tonight? If the church is not in the right environment, you can't populate the environment. Therefore, it becomes very, very important that we make sure that our systems are at place and there's movement and there's growth so that it can be populated and the environment is right. When people come into our churches and they are so confused and mixed up and there's all kinds of, of devilish things that are fighting them and there's not the right environment, they're not going to get beyond where they are. But if there is a power of the Holy Ghost in the house of God and they come into this place and God is inclined to come into this place because of the right environment and the worship that is there every chain can be broken every bit of witchcraft and evil and devil behavior and difficulty and addiction God can break through it but it takes the right environment takes the right environment. So for our churches, for our church to have the right environment, we need some things. We need the spirit to brood and move upon the congregation. Now this is really, really good stuff because sometimes people, they don't understand what is going on. I, <laughs> we've had a family that's been coming and one of the girls received the Holy Ghost. Her brother had brought some friends. They're all from Cal State. They're going to school, and they've been coming to church, and God's doing great things. And one of them, um, he came up here to ask a question for Brother Casey. He was asking about something, and then the music started like service was getting ready to start. He said, well, I got to get out of here. And so he took off from the well and he made his way back to the back of the church. So he's not quite understanding <laughs> what, what is actually happening when things are moving. What, what's happening is the spirit is brooding on the congregation. And God is looking for opportunities to take what is chaotic and without form and without shape, because that's a lot of people when they come to the house of God, that's what their lives are like. And so God is brooding on the congregation and he's looking for potential and he's looking for opportunities. And when he sees those opportunities and he moves in, then he starts working on somebody's heart and life. Like Haley that was invited from by Sister Sandy at some event selling cookies. See, there's something always greater than just cookies and fellowship and God's always looking for greater potential, so she comes to the house of God, and then when there's a move of God and God is brooding on the congregation, and he's looking at the chaos in the congregation, and we become the ambassadors for Jesus, and we are a conduit of his anointing and his ability, then right there on that second row, she receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's amazing stuff. The Spirit is operating. pretty cool. 
So the spirit has to brood. It has to be for the right environment. There has to be the spirit. The word is important because it produces the work of regeneration. There has to be a spirit that directs somebody, but then there has to be a word that, has, that helps them out of their chaos of, and, and regenerate things in their life. A regeneration is a, a, it's what repentance is. It's turning from something, and then all the things that were not at place and not right, God regenerates that, changes that, and old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so you've you got to have the spirit that is hovering, moving. You have to have the word that is producing the work of regeneration. And then you have to have the man. And when I say the man, I'm talking in general terms. Men and women who preserve what the spirit is moved on and what the word has produced. That takes men and women preserving what the Spirit and the Word is doing. And this is one of the reasons why the harvest is so very important because there's connections that are made. So somebody that made, man, the Holy Ghost moved in a powerful way. I felt something I never felt before. The Word then is preached and is taught. Ah, okay, there's some changes and things I need to adjust and the Word is speaking to me. And then there are people that are connected to those things that are preserving, preserving, because the enemy would love to come in and destroy that and would sever right there at that moment. Holy Ghost moves, there's a word, okay, change, and then there is a severing right there because the enemy knows if there is a deeper connection with somebody that, that is trying to preserve what the Spirit and the Word is doing, then that person's going to slip right back out and not come to a full potential of what God desires. So therefore, it's important for people to connect with other people and preserve what the Spirit is doing and what the Word is doing. And that takes all of us. So if you're going to create a, an environment where there is latent potential for growth and revival, it takes those three things. The Spirit is very, very important. Let's talk about it just for a minute. Prayer is, should be always be a priority. We should have private prayer in each individual's life on a daily basis. Somebody said, amen. We should have private prayer time in the house of worship, which we allow. You can come here anytime you want. You can get into the sanctuary, and you can pray at any time. That's important. There needs to be a prayer life in my life. There needs to be opportunity for private prayer. There should be special times of corporate prayer in the church body. That's why Monday night is important, because we pray corporately. There should be prayer teams. We have prayer teams. We have ladies that come every single week to pray. We have prayer teams that come on Saturday for the harvest that takes place. And there should be pre-service prayer to prepare for the heart of the service. That's important. Again, what, what is this? These are atoms atoms and little building blocks that are going into a reservoir of latent potential. That's why pre-service prayer is important because we're trying to create the potential for God to move in a great way. And if our minds are not centered where they need to be, then the opportunity for God to move in a powerful way is not going to be as effective. But when we come in with a focus and we spend a few moments of time saying, you know what, there's a lot of stuff that happened today. I tripped over the dog this morning. That threw my back out. I've worked all day. Uh, it's a mess. My coworkers were a mess. It was difficulty. There were mistakes made. I came home and stepped on a Lego and then came to church. And phew, I'm so frazzled with everything that is going on. And I'm sure there's illustrations that go far beyond what I just gave you. And so I'm going to spend some time centering myself because I know what's going to happen in this service is without a doubt emphatically important. So I'm going to get my focus right. Worship and praise should be a priority. There should be a power of the Holy Ghost. Psalm 22 verse 3 said, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. It's talking to Israel, but our worship services should be planned and our worship leaders should be prepared 
for the sole purpose of bringing the presence of God to the house. Everything that we should, everything that we do should be for the glory of God. Our musicians and singers should show their desire in bringing glory to God through preparation. Everyone say preparation. To give God the best of their efforts. Every once in a while, somebody will say something like, why do we need to practice? Just come to church and fly by the seat of your pants and spontaneously let things happen. No, 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 no. God is not in the business of doing that. God is in the business of us giving him his, our best. That's why we dress the way that we do. We're not approaching things sloppy. We're approaching things with excellence. Because we want to give God our best. This goes back to the Shema. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with, with what? All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Jesus put some other things in there. Give God everything. Give him your best. And so therefore, everything that we do, we, it's, it's, it's preparing, it's praying, it's spending time. It's using our talents and abilities so that we can attract the spirit of God into our service, which in turn opens the way whereby people are drawn to God. I will tell you emphatically, when people are praying, when people are preparing, and then they come together for service, great things are going to happen. And when great things happen, there is a drawing of people into that vortex of God's power and into a dimension of his strength and his anointing. That's intentional. That is latent potential because someone is taking initiative to make it happen. That's got to come from here. That's got to come from the pulpit. That's got to be planned. There has to be vision that is cast. And there, there has to be people that join and link up with that vision to make it happen so that God receives the glory. And revival takes place. John chapter 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 12 verse 32. We're concluding here tonight. And if I be lifted up from the earth, musicians and singers come if you would. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's talking about Calvary. Jesus is talking about the cross. The literal lifting up upon the cross. But it can also be applied to our lifting him up in praise because the focus is going to him and what he has done. And in terms of doing that, we play an important role in drawing others to God. Amen. Through my prayer, through my worship, I am attempting to join up and link up with God's purposes so that there can be a drawing of others into that. Amen. Nobody worshiping, nobody praying, nobody magnifying God, nobody receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, there may be times where God can step in in such a powerful, anointed way that it's an earth-shattering, cataclysmic thing that God can override everybody's indifference, but not ours. And certainly not what should be normal. What should be normal is a moving of God's spirit of latent potential where there is growth and movement and transformation in the church. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Praise God. You know what I'm thankful for? I may be preaching to the choir because some of you get that. Maybe if it was not clarified and communicated in such a way that you didn't quite understand that. I hope now that you understand that every single one of us is a priest in the operation of Jesus Christ as the high priest ministry. Nobody, nobody is just an afterthought and not important. You are absolutely important in every single service takes place in the house of God. Every prayer that you pray 
is not something that is an afterthought, a petition that is ignored. It goes into a reservoir of God's power and his ability. And at some point, when there is a moving of the Holy Ghost in a powerful way, you can know and understand I was directly connected to this because we as the body of Christ have been doing our work to make sure there was potential in the house of God and God saw great things and he was operating in every single service. We have to have an attitude. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17 and the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely if there is a bride the bride should be saying come Lord Jesus every single service come Lord Jesus fill this house with your anointing and your power and your healing what bride would say I'm not interested in you coming just stay outside sadly that's a that's a lot of relationships but it shouldn't be the relationship of the church to Jesus it should be something that is powerful that is connected where the people of the church say come Lord Jesus let your anointing and your power and your ability flood this place let the waters flow we stand together the right environment is a necessity for any apostolic church to grow and be sustained over the long haul. These things cannot be seasonal. They must be a vital part of our long comes. And he tries to shake people out of their lethargy. And No, I don't want that. I don't want seasonal stuff. I want long-term, every service, every opportunity, revive. We may have an evangelist come in, but he's just riding the wave of latent potential that's already there. He's not coming to try to create that. All that will be is some special services. But if there is a church that is absolutely determined to make sure that reservoir is filled up, then somebody comes. God just continues to do what he's always been doing because the system is in place and the Holy Ghost can move. I wonder if you could lift up your hands right now and say, come Lord Jesus, if we are the bride, I want to say to you, come, Lord Jesus, and fill the house with your anointing and your ability. As a matter of fact, why don't you step out of the pew where you are and make it a, a, a move to the front and take a place and say, I'm lifting my hands and I'm lifting my voice at the conclusion of this service. And I'm saying to you, Lord, come. Let your healing come. Let your anointing come. Let your Heaven come down. 